Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you all this morning as we continue our journey through the Christmas season. Uh, Last weekend, we launched into December, uh, and we jumped right into the Christmas story and began to uh, uh, explore what it is that God demonstrates to us, shows us, offers us through this incredible story that we get to celebrate during this season. And last week, we discovered, or or were reminded of perhaps, the reality that after the great fall of our human story uh, through Adam and Eve and their choice to pursue their own divinity and their own story and, uh, and, and abandon God, that God began early on in the uh, Old Testament story to whisper and then shout to His people, to us, uh, of great promises that would ultimately redeem our story, that would ultimately buy back from the dead the story that we completely derailed in the garden decision. For many generations, the people of Israel uh, lived with these promises being declared through the prophets, and they had a hopeful patience as they waited for the promise of God's rescue to be realized. And then the very last prophet of the Old Testament speaks Malachi, and it seems in his speaking that things are about to take place. And we remember from last week that there was then 400 years of absolute silence from God. And so hopeful waiting over those 400 years turns into hopeless waiting. And generations pass and you wonder whether God has abandoned the human race finally as we well deserve. And then, quietly, in a temple on a particular day, Zechariah the priest whose wife is barren, cannot have kids, is standing doing his normal stuff and an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, the promises of God are not going to happen someday. They are happening now. Your wife's going to be pregnant. (laughs) I mean, he was like, no. God's like, yes. Some things we didn't talk about last week. And Zechariah discovers the wonder of a declaration from that angel that ties back to Malachi and demonstrates that this is no ordinary visit about a woman who couldn't have kids that will have kids. That would be miraculous enough, but this is a declaration of hope realized that we will now see through the Christmas story fully realized and then into the life of Jesus and all the way through thousands of years and many generations to our space today as we continue to stare into the wonder of God's promises. So that's where we started last week. Where does the story go now? So a couple of months after the incident with Zechariah in the temple where the angel had spoken to him, there is a young lady. Her name is Mary. She's a teenager. She lives in a small town. She is betrothed to a man named Joseph uh, in her small town. And in those days, a betrothal was something in between a marriage and an engagement. It wasn't quite as uh, as light as an engagement. Don't get me wrong. Engagement's a heavy thing. I mean, you're essentially saying, we're going to get married. But an engagement, you can kind of call off if things don't go so well because you haven't made covenant promises yet, right? And so it's not quite as light as an engagement, but it's not yet the full consummation of marriage. And so it's this in-between space where you now belong to one another, but there is a preparation period that must take place 
as the husband prepares a home for his bride and some other things occur. And Mary, you can imagine the talk in the town, you know, I mean, you guys know, even in our cultural context, girls start reading bridal magazines at three. So, you know, th- there is this there is this reality that occurs where uh, the, these, these dreams, whether they are rightly realized or not, begin to affect. And when you finally find the love of your life and you, you get engaged, what do you do? You hang out, you chat. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. It's just a few more months, right? So Mary is living her dream. She has been a faithful uh, follower of God. Her family is a faithful family. Joseph is a faithful and good man. Everything's coming together. They're going to get married soon. Then they're going to start the journey of starting a family and growing up that family in Nazareth, the little town with their grandparents, and, and just having a great time. Joseph is, has, has trained as a carpenter, so they're going to have a good life. They're going to have a stable life. Things are going to go well for them. Mary is living the dream of a young lady in a small town in, in the time that she's growing up. And one day... As she is going about whatever she was doing as a teenage girl, probably helping with some chores and doing her thing, she encounters something extraordinary, unusual, not something you normally encounter every day. From nowhere, a a man, but yet more than a man, appears, and he declares himself to her. Mary, don't, don't be afraid, tad of a weird moment here. But it's going to be weird because you're human and when angels appear, it gets weird. And so you're just going to have to live with that. Uh, I need to chat with you. And Gabriel says to Mary, Mary, I'm, I'm, I'm here sent from God and I have a message for you. It's, it's a crazy thing. You see, God is going to supernaturally conceive a child in your womb. And that child is going to be the realized promise that has been whispered and shouted from God to His people from the time Adam and Eve walked out of the garden. Mary, in fact, in the incident, even kind of goes, well, hold on, there's some technicalities we need to talk through here because the whole pregnancy thing, I know how it works. My mom's told me. And I haven't done that. Listen, I'll show you. Turn, turn to the book of Luke. I love it. I love the, the raw reality of these encounters, right? Book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, page 948, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, 948, or Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, if you have a smart device or you brought your own page, paper Bible. Here we go. Uh, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So that's, there's the information I just kind of shared with you. I didn't make it up. It's actually in the Bible. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Okay, so there's the weirdness. I told you it was awkward. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. See, there's the, ah! And then don't worry, we're all good. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and and you shall call his name Jesus, 
he will be great and the will and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end and mary said to the angel that's incredible no she said how will this be since i'm a virgin see i told you she's like uh there's a missing piece in the equation Joseph and I are not, uh, we're betrothed, but we're, we're, not, we're not married yet. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived the Son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? What do you expect Mary's response might be after hearing something like this? Could, could it perhaps be this? Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, if the angel appeared to you or I and unpacked a story of this magnitude after generations of a waiting that was only now a whisper of hopefulness through Zechariah and Elizabeth. And remember, the whole Zechariah incident that took place with the angel, apparently Mary wasn't even aware yet, so the news hadn't traveled to Nazareth yet, because remember, we didn't have Facebook, email, uh, they were, they were, we didn't even have the, the postal service or the UPS, right? I mean, none of that existed, and so uh, the angel literally has to tell Mary, by the way, you haven't gotten the news yet, but uh, Elizabeth's pregnant too, and, and, and it, there's a tie there. And so for Mary, getting news like this, her response is, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Have it be as you said. Have it be as you said. And there is a great moment of clarity for Mary, as there would have been for us, that bigger things than she could have ever imagined, bigger things than she could have ever anticipated, was now going to be her story. An ordinary life in an ordinary village with a faithful husband and some kids has now transitioned off the table and onto the table has come the grandest of stories. Pretty amazing, huh? Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Where did Mary go? Immediately. In haste. Where did she go? To Elizabeth, okay? Now, one could assume between the lines here that the angel says to Mary, Elizabeth, six months pregnant, and Mary goes, oh my goodness, I gotta go help, and, and pulls out of town and shoots up to Elizabeth. That certainly is a possibility. And when we leave this planet and we have a conversation with both Elizabeth and Mary, we can ask them, did Renault read into this too far? Was it just simple and you wanted to go help uh, your relative? But if we understand the realities of the cultural context, I would dare to say that in that sentence, the word haste has implications much larger than go help Elizabeth. 
Because after the incident with the angel, you understand that Mary now understands that she is going to be pregnant with child and yet is not married yet to Joseph, but is betrothed to him. So she is as though married and yet not consummated. You with me? And in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, in the law of this time, it says, if a woman sleeps with a man that, and she is the wife of another, then both the man and the woman who were in that incident are to be put to death. So that this evil can be eradicated from the story of the people of God. You understand that those kinds of massive implications exist here. So let's just talk real for a second, okay? Beautiful moment for Mary. I am the servant of God. Wow, angel departs. How do you tell mom and dad? No, I mean for real. How do you tell mom and dad? You've been a faithful teenage girl. They're thrilled about Joseph. They've worked as parents for like, since the second you were conceived, they started trying to pick a husband for you. Because in those days, you know, you worked together in the town. You, you chatted kind of like I do. I pick my kids' friends. D don't tell them that. Sorry, did I say that out loud? I don't pick your friends. I promise. You pick them. Um, I didn't navigate the families and choose carefully and make sure you only hung out around the people I wanted you to be friends with. That was not my plan. So, you see, we, we as parents, we, we work together, right, to try to find the spaces our children will grow up in. And then, you know, oh my gosh, Joseph's such a nice man. Can you imagine the parents in bed at night? I hope it's Joseph. Have you talked to his dad yet? No, honey, she's two. We got to get going on that. What if somebody else talks to him first? And now it's realized and they're betrothed and it's wonderful and he's faithful and she's faithful and she comes in the door and she goes, Mom, Dad, sit down. So um, <clears throat> I was hanging out and this angel appeared to me and said, I'm pregnant, but it's by the power of God. I promise I haven't done anything. How does that go? How would that go for you? If you were a parent and your kid came in and said, I promise you it was a supernatural act of God, an angel told me. You see, that is not a happy moment. In fact, we know from the book of Matthew that when Joseph was finally brought into the mix, and we don't know whether she told Joseph first or whether she told her parents first and then they told Joseph's parents and then they told Joseph and then Joseph talked to them. And in that culture, that would have been a legitimate way to communicate, right? Mary would not necessarily have gone to Joseph and said, Joe, listen, something occurred and I just want to talk it through with you. This would have been parents to parents to Joseph to parents to parents to Mary. And as that track takes place, can you imagine the weight and anxiety on Mary's shoulders? In Matthew, it says, when Joseph heard the news, because he was a good and faithful man and he knew Deuteronomy 22, 22 perfectly well, he had decided to divorce her quietly so that she would not have to face the consequences of these realities. What a good man to just kind of fade into history and go, man, it would have been nice, but Mary wasn't what we thought she was. In haste, Mary heads off to Elizabeth. I bet that mom and dad sat down with Mary, had a complete moment and said, you, you need to get out of here. Perhaps it was a direct rejection. Perhaps it was parental 
survival saying, if, if the town finds out it's not going to go well, go, go to Elizabeth quickly. Go see what's going on there. And in haste, Mary heads up to Elizabeth. Can you imagine the journey up to Elizabeth's place? Wrestling with, how's this going to go? When I get back, when do I return to Nazareth? When I do, is Joseph, is Joseph going to have moved with his family? Because remember, the shame is on Joseph too, man. The shame is on Joseph. You picked a woman very carefully. Didn't turn out to be what you thought she was. For Joseph's family, disaster. This is not happy. This is painful. The circumstances are not what we anticipate to be the Facebook story of the beauty of a woman becoming pregnant supernaturally. Can you imagine the weight of Mary as she travels to Elizabeth? Wrestling with Deuteronomy 22:22, wrestling with the implications of life and death, wrestling perhaps not with that because she trusts God, but wrestling with Joseph, the man I love. Am I going to lose him? Right now, he's, he's trying to figure this all out. Wrestling with her parents. Are they going to reject me? Are they going to receive me? Circumstance, circumstantially speaking, the, the mission and story of God didn't turn out to be as pretty as we might suspect. She gets to Elizabeth. Listen to this. Verse 40, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she said, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So what does Mary immediately do? Mary becomes a beautiful safe space. I mean, Elizabeth becomes a beautiful safe space for Mary. And in that moment, with all the weightiness of the world on her shoulders and all the wanderings of her dreams perhaps dashed and her life perhaps never the same, brought back to her mind is the truth of what is in her womb, right? And when the truth of what is in her womb is brought back to her mind and she goes, wow, that's right. This is what Mary responds with. Look at this. And Mary said, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him for generation, from generation to generation. See, in the beauty of the power of the truth of who is in her womb and of the supernatural nature of what is occurring and of the long history of promises that she knows is being, she knows is being realized, in that she declares great joy. Do you think Mary was excited about the circumstantial realities that surrounded her story of mission? If you think Mary walked around, and every time she thought about Deuteronomy 22:22 or Joseph leaving her or her parents and the, the tears running down her mom's face, if you think Mary was like, it's cool, I'm just so full of joy, it's beautiful, then you don't know the human heart. Then you don't understand that Scripture has real human people in it with real emotions like you and me. And when the circumstances of life hit us hard and they are not what we expected them to be, our natural and good and right response 
is that our emotions fly into turmoil and we experience grief. We experience struggle. We experience things like fear and anxiety because we are designed to feel. And when the circumstances are not what we love them to be, we feel deeply. And Mary must have wrestled a bunch, but yet whenever her eyes found again the truth of what was in her womb, of who was in her womb, then there she found a transcendence from what was real in the day-to-day. And she could declare the wonders of God. She could declare the wonders of God. Mm -hmm. After Elizabeth, she's there for three months. She heads back to Bethlehem. And in the meantime, we're told in Matthew that Joseph has a dream and an angel appears to him and says, Joe, it's real, Uh, for real. Mary wasn't unfaithful. God told her this and it's happening. And dude, you get to be the dad of the Savior. Come on now. How awesome is that? And Joseph awakes from that dream and he, and he believes and he takes Mary as his wife and he's like, this is going to be awesome. And it actually says in Matthew that they then waited to consummate their marriage until after the birth of Jesus, right? So he, he demonstrates as we knew he would his faithfulness to God in his beauty and his wonder of, of receiving Mary. But now Joseph and Mary are dealing together with the implications of this. You remember the little trip to Bethlehem? You remember that one in the Christmas story? Do you remember the whole story? It's, it's in all the songs. You know, off to Bethlehem, and then there was no room in the inn, and so they had to go in the little, in the little uh, what is the thing? Shed. I want to say shed, but it's not a shed. A stable. Thank you, stable with the manger. I forget these details. And, um, and, and he, he, I do know the Bible, I promise. And he, and he walks in. Um, you remember that story? See, I think in our mind, we, we, we uh, anticipate an innkeeper, right? Because there's an innkeeper in the, in the, in the stories. It's not, not actually in the Bible that way, but, um, but we, we sing the songs. And so we, we come and there's, a, a, there's an inn with like 20 rooms and it's kind of like the Hampton or, uh, or, you know, the Hilton or whatever. And, and, and you, you went on and you booked, but they were full, except you couldn't book, so you had to show up because there was no email. And so you showed up like, no, no, all the rooms are full. I'm so sorry, but we have a little, you know, stable in the back. You can do that. That's not how it worked. That's not how it went. You see, hospitality was a giant deal in this culture. I mean, not being hospitable, there could not be anything worse in this cultural context than not being hospitable. So when you were not hospitable, there was an implication to your lack of hospitality. You were demonstrating a rejection or or, or something else. So remember, Bethlehem is the town that Joseph's family is from, right? Uh, his, his lineage. And so there's ties back to Bethlehem because of that line. It is completely legitimate to believe that there were extended family in Bethlehem or the surrounding areas that they would have contacted or come to and said, here's the deal. Now, again, this is not told to us in Scripture, but you know Facebook, even Facebook. It's just not real when we tell only parts of our story. It's very real, and yet it leaves out parts, right? And so we got to fill in the blanks. There is a very real possibility that in showing up in Bethlehem, it wasn't just about the fullness of the town, but it was also about showing up at family and word had spread because now a couple months have gone by. Mary is fully pregnant. And remember, Joseph and Mary, uh, they had not been married. And so word, when it spreads, rumors today, we can kill fairly fast because we can get a hold of people quickly. But when things move quickly in these times, it takes like a year and a half to get the message back. It is very possible that Mary and Joseph showed up in Bethlehem and part of the reason why they had no space to say is because the people they would usually stay at were like, we can't have the pregnant girl in our house. 
Now, it's possible it was just full, but regardless of how it plays, we know between having to run off to Egypt and do all sorts of crazy stuff, Mary and Joseph must have faced the reality of the story of God and its brutality on a regular basis. In the midst of a little town, Bethlehem, with family that potentially rejected them, or at least every room full in a manger, shepherds show up. Shepherds don't smell good generally. Uh, that, you know, you're in the little space and they're there and you're like, why you? And um, <clears throat> as they're working through that, the Bible says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart and was filled with great joy. Isn't that beautiful? Well, the circumstances didn't give that to her. Yes, there was a birth of a baby, but it wasn't the circumstance of a birth of a baby. If, if any normal baby had been born under those circumstances, there would have been a giant grief tied to all of that. Man, I was unfaithful, and now I've got this child, and my husband kind of stuck with me, but he's wrestling because he doesn't know, and families rejected us, and we're, we're here, and this was supposed to be beautiful, but there's just these stinky dudes here. But instead, what it is is, I know who you are. I know why you've come. The angel told me. I know I was faithful, so I know this was supernatural. The joy that Mary felt was transcendent of the circumstances around her because of the truth that she knew that was revealed to her. This is the beauty of the gift of Christmas to Mary. And you know what? It is a shadow, a reflection, a a small-scale version of what the gift of Christmas is to us and has been to generations before us and will be for as many generations as will come after us before the fullness of time is realized. Here's the gift. Mary has a set of circumstances. They are not always pretty. They are not always what is expected, and God does not always make them easy when he calls you into big stories. Sometimes they are hard, and they are hard and long. And emotionally speaking, we are designed to experience the weightiness and grief and pain and fear and struggle that comes with circumstances that are not what we want. And yet, if left only to that, this is our life. When circumstances are awesome, you experience joy and it feels great. When circumstances are terrible, you experience grief and anxiety and fear. Joy is robbed from you and it feels terrible. And if you live on this planet for about three minutes, you know that circumstances change on a dime, right? So if you get old enough, like six, all right, uh, you start realizing pretty quick when things are going well, they're going to soon go badly. So the joy I have right now is fleeting at best, so I shouldn't hold on to it because it's going to disappear. And if things are going badly, there is no joy. And so you begin to live where we live as humans, which is when it's good, I'm fearful of the bad coming. And when it's bad, I'm just bad in my, in my emotions, right? And so joy is at best a momentary fleeting emotion that comes and goes. And it's joy, certainly, because joy is found in wonderful things. But it comes and goes. But in the gift of Christmas, in the story of the redemptive realities of Christ, something is handed to us that we could never have imagined. Here it is. Same thing that was handed to Mary. 
I know the circumstances will sometimes be awesome, and I know the circumstances will sometimes not. And when they're awesome, you will have joy, and when they're not, you will lack joy. But I'm going to give you a truth revealed to you so that you know it, so that even when circumstances are not good and you lack joy emotionally, you can still find these words, my soul magnifies the Lord for He is good. Why is he good? Because today is good? Because this is good? No, no, no. This ain't good, and today ain't good. But here's what is good. One has come that has rescued my soul from being dead and made it alive, redeemed my future from being damned and made it eternal life, and restored my purpose from being useless, the chasing after the wind to build a little kingdom for myself that I leave behind to be squandered by my children. That's, it's real. Just come awake to it now. And moved my life into a purpose of legacy and wonder for the glory of God, even in the hard, even in the struggle. And so when I have no joy from the realities around me, I still have joy from that which I know. I love when we have joy because of circumstance. That's good. That's not bad. I hope much joy for you from circumstance. I hope this Christmas is full of wonderful things for you. But if it's not, it doesn't matter because the joy you lack from circumstance is transcendent now. You'll still have those emotions. They'll still feel hard, but you will know something, something even Mary didn't know. She knew the Savior was in her womb and was going to be born to rescue the people of God from the tyranny of those around them. She didn't know he was coming to rescue the entire human story. We know that. We know more than Mary. And so when life is heavy, we get to say, it's not what I wanted it to be. It's not what I thought it would be. It's not what I enjoy. I don't find joy in the circumstances in which I currently live though I hope to find joy again in some circumstances in the future, but I know something, that the Savior was born onto this planet. He rose up into a great man, taught with authority, lived in perfection, died horribly, and rose from the dead so that my soul would be saved and my future redeemed and my purpose restored, and that is something to be joyful about. And that's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. And you know that that reality was for Mary and then for so many after her, and it has traveled through generations, and here it sits with us. I'm sure I could take any one of your stories, and I could show this beauty. But there was a particular story in our midst that demonstrated this reality of circumstances not quite being what they thought they would be, dreams not quite being realized the way they thought they would, even in the story of God, and then yet finding the beauty of the joy that transcends circumstance when they stared into the story of God and said, you up to something, and then God restoring unto them such a wonder in their story. Listen to Joel and Tanique as they share their story of hard and yet beautiful. Take a look.
So God had really birthed in me a heart for missions before I met Joel, my husband. And after doing a few missions trips, I really recognized that this was something that he was really wanting me to do on a longer term basis. When we met and did our training together through our missions organization, we both really got a clear sense from the Lord that he was calling us to move our whole lives over to Southeast Asia. We basically moved with a heart to just get to know the people, get to know the culture, understand more so that we could have that authority to speak into their lives and share the gospel with them. We literally fell in love with it. We fell in love with the culture and the people and it just became like home to us. In 2008, we went to a conference in Thailand and at the conference, Micah fell ill and Tanique really felt like we needed to take him to the hospital. At the hospital, we discovered that Micah had a partial lung collapse. And so that began our journey of really discovering that there's some things going on with Micah that we really couldn't explain. And so when we came back in 2009, we began to go to different doctors to try and figure out what was going on with Micah. They shared with us that Micah had NF and that's where tumors grow on the nerve endings. And so we decided with his doctors that it was best to stay stateside until we figure out exactly what was going on. A friend invited me to Mosaic. From the first Sunday I sat down, I just felt like this is the place that we need to be. And then after the service, our oldest son who usually had a lot of issues with childcare on Sunday mornings, came back after the service and he was in love with his children's church. One of the biggest things on our heart with having a special needs child is them fitting in in church and hearing that Micah absolutely loved Sunday school. That really blessed us. And he's like that every single Sunday. He runs into Sunday school and he runs out of Sunday school. <laughs> Once we got the clearance from the doctors, we basically felt like we were released to go back into Southeast Asia and to continue life there. We loved it and we were thriving to a degree, but then we started to realize that the medical issues started to become an issue again. We loved our mission, we loved what we did, but of course we knew our first priority was to take care of our family we had to move back home. It was just one of the hardest decisions that we had to make at that point. I felt that everything that I worked for was gone. I buried myself in work at our mission space and really felt like, okay, while we're back here, I'm just gonna work as hard as I can to continue to be relevant in, in the work that we do without fit facing the, the hard challenge of, of leaving behind the dream. Last year, in 2015, we were just attending an evening service and a friend came up to us and said to us, would you like to meet uh, people from Asia? And so we're like, of course we wanna meet people from Asia. Here's these two guys that are from the region that we were living in and we get a chance to just catch up with them, speaking in their same language and just getting a moment of just shared joy. And so we come to find out that they work for Disney. During that time, we just decided, let's invite them over, let's have them over for a meal and just have fun. And so we did that. 
after months of just sharing and pouring into them, we asked them, would you like to follow Christ? Would you like to begin a relationship with him? And I remember the one young man, he says, in my 23 years, no one has ever told me this. But then I met you guys and I met other believers and I don't know what it's like to be a Christian, but I want to be one. I remember that moment just literally touching my heart in such a significant way. One of them mentioned to us, I'm gonna keep bringing my friends to you. And literally, he did just that. He kept bringing friend after friend after friend just to meet us and to connect with us. And through that, God just opened the doors wide at Disney for us to just continue to meet new friends and then to love on them. During our wrestle of what should we do while we're here in America that we realized we need to literally start an organization to specifically reach out to these Disney cast members from close countries that have very little access to the gospel and just through natural relationship learn how to share with them, love on them, eat at the table with them and just help them to understand what family is all about and be that home away from home for them. It's amazing to see what God has done in and through our lives. Not only did our vision not die, but I feel like our vision has completely exploded. And now God has given us not only all of Asia, but many other countries. It has brought so much joy in our own personal lives to see the personal vision being expanded, but then to see God's story expanded in a greater way. When I look back, I realized God was doing something greater. Every single thing I've done, it wasn't in vain. It was pretty encouraging to come back home and to realize that God was gonna redeem every single piece of the story. Just seeing how much he would love us in such a way that he would give us the very people that we have been wanting to reach out to right here in our own backyard, in our own city, we're able to reach them. Our house literally oftentimes feels like Asia. That really blesses our hearts so much and brings so much joy to us because we see that God is so in the details. He's so in the details of our lives and he uses the very things, our passions, to really glorify him if we allow him to. And so it's just really brought so much joy to us to see God redeeming our story. Joel and, and Tanika are so dear to us, and, and I had the incredible privilege over those years to be wrestling with them through that. And I remember many days sitting with Joel in particular and just seeing the despondency in his, in his entire uh, uh, being, just saying, man, we, we, we have this dream that God gave us. We went faithfully, and then these circumstances have derailed that, and now I'm here just working on base uh, going through the motions, and all I want to do is be there, what do I do with that? The circumstances did not lend themselves to experiencing the joy and wonder of God. And yet in their journey, what I watched occur is them beginning to fix their eyes on the story of God and knowing that God is always up to more than we think, even when things aren't going the way we think they ought. And in that journey, discovering what that was, now 
what they see happen on a week-to-week basis in the stories of these young men and women that come from all over the world and live in our backyard for a short burst of time. And this is a single opportunity for them to engage in family and then discover the wonders of the gospel and freedom. That they get to be part of that every single day is an expansion of everything Joel and Tanique could have dreamt up. You see, sometimes the circumstances will be full of joy like they are now for them. And sometimes they'll be full of joy like they were for them at one time when they lived in Asia. But there's always these middle spaces, the in-betweens. The in-between, the the miraculous moment. The in-between, the calls of God. The in-between, the angel appearing. The in-between, the songs of joy. And those in-betweens are often filled with pain and struggle and tears and hard. And what the gift of Christmas is to us is that when things are full of joy, we do not need to fear things changing and us losing joy because if they change and they turn to grief, our salvation does not change. Our soul rescue does not disappear. Our future does not end up not being redeemed and our purpose is not undone. And if we're in the middle of the in-between spaces where all feels heavy and hard, We don't have to try to pretend to be happy. We don't have to run around like Christians going, oh, the joy of the Lord is in me, while we're actually feeling like death itself. We can say, it's heavy, it's hard, it's rough, but yet my soul magnifies the Lord, not as a spiritual statement, but as a reality of knowledge. What I feel, I feel, and it is right and real, But what I know, I know, and it is transcendent of what this world can give me and gifts me with a joy that is beyond circumstance and that measures my life. Hope, the gift of Christmas. Joy, the gift of Christmas. Just wait and see what gifts are yet to come in the weeks ahead. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Joel and Tanique and all that you have done in their story, all the way weaving together the circumstances to produce something they could not have imagined and yet needed to arrive at through a long journey of grief and a long journey of struggle. Remind us in our up times where we are full of joy because of circumstance that we need not fear the loss of those circumstances, and therefore the loss of joy. And remind us in our times that are full of grief that we need not fear hopelessness and a joyless life setting in because in our grief in circumstance, we are forced to dare our souls to see more deeply, more beautifully, with more clarity the gift of the Christmas story, the gift of your arrival on this planet, the gift of your life, of your death, and of your resurrection that reminds us that despite circumstance that might be full of grief, that the joy we hold in our heart is a gift transcendent of circumstance that gives us a forever joy, perhaps not felt, but always known. God, thank you for the gift of joy that this Christmas story offers us. May we rest in it, may we live in it, may we explore it this week as we prepare our hearts 
for the fullness of Christmas to arrive in just a few weeks. And we prepare ourselves to be filled with awe and worship then. We love you, Jesus.